0: watching property TV in this episode of business success with Graham and Leanne Carling the couple are traveling from their home in Dubai to London where they are meeting with a world-renowned businessman and philanthropist the man they will be meeting was the founder of a company that grew from zero stores to over 600 and was subject to an exit worth over 1 billion pounds he now concentrates on his charitable endeavours, including setting up his own charity, Cordwell Children. This man is, of course, John Cordwell. Together, they will be discussing all things business, including what it takes to grow a successful business and how and when to exit. You are watching Business Success. Welcome back to Business Success. Since the last episode, a lot has changed for Graham and Leanne Carling, who have continued their acquisition trail, to acquire a further three businesses and increase the group turnover to £70 million, all whilst contending with the global pandemic. The couple have also moved their home from Dundee, Scotland to Dubai. In this journey, the couple have immersed themselves in new networks, including meeting billionaire and philanthropist John Cordwell, who they will be seeing today at his London home. We caught up with the couple in their London office before meeting with John. We go back to the start
1: before we even first started our first business. You know, we, in terms of mentors or people that we look up to and, and listen to and learn from, very much been people that, have been significantly greater than than what, where we were, where we are even still. So, but we want to be there. So we are listening and learning and and really taking in, you know, success leaves clues, as they say. So we want to be in the environment of people that have been ultra and uber successful. And not just in the past though, but with people that are on it and working at it Every day, because that's the type of people that we are. We just, we love business, we love entrepreneurship, and, um, you know, people like John, John Codwell, I mean, you know, everybody knows how successful he's been and still is. You know, he's, he's well known now for his philanthropy, but very much still, you know, in a big business, still. in a big business, and uh, that kind of gets forgotten because he wishes to be seen uh, or be remembered as a philanthropist, but very much a uh, Uh, An entrepreneur uh, in every sense of the word and uh, we just love being around people like that and being in environments like that, don't we? What I want to ask John is, was it always his plan and intention when he was starting out to grow and sell and exit the businesses? or was that something that just came up? He got to a certain size and scale and the opportunity to sell the business yeah, because came up. I always think if you have, well, I'm one, never have a plan B. Right. Yep. Always work and, work and focus on plan A, yep. because if you've got a plan A, plan B, plan A probably won't work. So yeah. I always think just focus on plan A and don't have a get out of jail you know, uh, yeah. Focus on Plan A. So mm-hmm. that that is a good question. So uh, I just wonder, you know, when if it was if it was always the Plan A, or was it that that, that an offer came in that was just so fantastic, and what was the emotions then? Mm-hmm. What was the emotional? What was going through your mind at that point? I mean, I can imagine at the numbers, the billions we're talking about, it'd been pretty exciting, mm-hmm. no matter who you are. So I just wonder what you know what it was like. Wonder what that process was like. How it happened. Was it part of the plan? And um, really, uh, for me, I'm, I'm really excited to hear to hear about that and uh, and what he was thinking he was going to do after that. Also, we're buyers of businesses, and uh, so we deal with a lot of emotions from sellers, and we see we've seen many of it, as particularly family businesses that have maybe been two or three generations uh, old and are now selling to us. We've and we see a huge range of emotion, mainly fear that's driven by it. So for us, we're kinda uh, you know, as the buyers, we're less emotional on it because we haven't spent fifty years or okay, one hundred years building up the business, but still still we still want to get the deal done and we're still keen on that. Mm-hmm. So we haven't exited. So I'm keen to understand that from John. What what that process really feels like from him at a huge level. At a huge level, because we
0: have exited on a lower level. Yeah, we've exited (laughs) some
1: smaller businesses that weren't (laughs) painful or weren't emotional enough. You know, we don't have any emotional scars, or we didn't have. Um, They were part of the process. But I think for us now, as we're growing our businesses, it would be interesting if something ever came along uh, out the blue. You know, for us, where it made us, gave us a shake and said, well, hold on, you have something to consider here. Here's, you know, there's, here's an offer that we'd like to, to make to you because that's not in our uh, plan. plan. That's not in our plan. Our plan is to build the businesses through acquisition and organic growth, to get uh, as large a geography as we can. And um, down here in the heart of Mayfair, I mean, it's just a fantastic, fantastic vibe and um, a great place to do business. I'm yeah. looking forward to this evening. Yep.
0: Graham and Leanne have come to the heart of London, to Mayfair in the borough of Westminster, where John Caldwell lives. As the co-founder of Phones for You, John started off in 1987 as a mobile phone wholesaler with just 26 mobiles, and grew the business to one that eventually sold in 2006 for over 1.5 billion pounds. Since then, John has largely dedicated his time to philanthropic causes, setting up his own charities such as Cordwell Children, which is dedicated to improving the lives of disabled children in the UK. Ultimately, John has pledged to give away 70% of his wealth in his lifetime and is encouraging other successful entrepreneurs to do so too. Today, John and his partner Modesta have invited Graham and Leanne to his London home, which is now regarded as the most expensive house in Britain, after famously merging two London mansions into one 43,000 square foot property. The first question Graham and Leanne had for John was, where did it all start? Yeah, for me, I suppose,
2: you know, I've been asked that question a thousand times and I can't quite be sure, but I think it kicked off because I came from a very, very poor background. And my grandmother always told me of all the Cordwell uh, ancestry that were all successful and wealthy. And she put these ideas, I think, of grandeur in my head that, that I didn't think about it at that time, but I think that. Sort of subliminally implanted in me that I wanted to be successful. But at the same time, and I don't know why this was, I, I, I had this vision. I was only seven years old. I had this vision of being, uh, of driving around in a Rolls Royce, which was my, the car that my father said was unbelievable. So I, ha- I had this, this vision, and, and it was so clear, was so clear. And it was a weird vision for a seven year old to have. Mm-hmm. You know, imagine that driving around in a Rolls Royce, chauffeur-driven Rolls Royce, giving five-pound notes to push people. That was my version of being rich and successful and charitable. And, um, and that actually lived with me as a, really a bit of a sort of a Damocles sword for the rest of my childhood and later on in life, because I felt somehow that that was my absolute destiny. And that had to happen. There was no choice. It had to happen. So imagine the pressure that a lad from the Terry Streets of Shelton felt, Stoke-on-Trent, and then lived on a council estate in a two-bedroom flat. Imagine the pressure on that person when they feel that's, they've got to become this rich philanthropic person. Um, and my whole life was then spent doing silly things, trying to find a way of making money, like breeding white worms in the garage <laughs> that all died, and trading embassy coupons, and you know, any st- anything that, you know, when I look back, really stupid. But in a way, it wasn't, because every one of these little stupid failed ventures, they didn't fail, but they just didn't make any money, mm-hmm. taught me a lesson. So by the time I was 16 or 17, I'd already learned lots of lessons yeah. that some people never learned there in their whole lives. So although it was stupid, it was a lesson, yeah. you know, and it did build my analytical mind. Was looking at all these things all the time and saying, "That's crazy! What have you done that for? I've never, that can't ever do any good." Yeah. And then I realised I've got to have something scalable.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So I guess the same question is to you really: how, how did you come to desire to be, <laughs> be successful and rich?
1: Yeah, well that's an interesting one. I think you know, uh, you 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 people ask the question, you know, is it something that to become an entrepreneur? Is it something that you're born with? Or is it something you can learn? And it's a, it's a tricky question, you know. And um, I think I was fortunately for me, it was something I've just always had it, similar to what you're saying, in different in different ways. You know, washing cars at seven-year-old paper rounds, milk delivery rounds, all of that stuff. but Always looking to try and um, always I just got
2: this entrepreneurial all, money-making spirit.
1: Always, 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 and to. to you know, even going through school, I never had the, um, the desire to to, to, get a, to grow up, you know, get good grades and get a job. I just, I, it just didn't have it for me. I always wanted to, I suppose, run my own business, whatever that may be, but just knowing uh, without really understanding it, it just was there. And um, so I've done various ventures over the years. And then even though I've worked, I did go into mainstream employment, I always felt like a square peg, even though I was I was good at it, if I committed to it. But really, always looking to. to it's do Funny my you own should thing. say,
2: "Better square peg," you know, because I went on to A levels, yeah. which I knew wasn't my destiny, because I knew I didn't want to uh, do ordinary education, and uh, I bailed out after three months, and uh, applied to Mission Tire Company. There was. I think it was about 1,500 applicants, and only 60 of us were going to get the job. Right. So it was a really, really challenging thing to get the job, and I was lucky I got the job. and um, and uh, But I always, to your point, felt like a square peg, yeah. because everybody else was career-minded, and I knew my career was never going to be in engineering, although I don't regret doing it. It was a wonderful training. Yeah. but. It was never going to be an engineer, and it was never going to be working for anybody else. And I knew that, although I'd got no idea how to break out of it. Um, So I absolutely understand the square, Mm -hmm. feeling like a square Square peg. peg,
0: You are watching Property TV. You are watching Property TV.
1: So we'd, we'd started, um, you know again educating ourselves if you like and uh, I'd actually back in 2000 I, I had uh, three failed businesses so I'd started this before yeah. What
2: failed as in failed, lost money and
1: yeah lost money
2: administration
1: uh, no I mean they weren't big enough so for that. failed but failed yeah left Le- big difficulty left, big lessons yeah I mean yeah. Like it was I'd lost my own money and I lost yeah. But um, they were I never did the same. Actually, I lost yeah. my money. Yeah, not much. I had not yeah. got much. To no, lose, I was. But I had those lessons. Shame. Yeah. Yeah. So we'd had, and so it, I think after the third one, it, you know, really, um, you know, it, it lost my money. Ego dented, pride dented, uh, licking my wounds, and I had to go back to mainstream employment, and that was around 2002-3. So I had to reset. I had to recover, uh, and um, it took me a few years. Then. When the two thousand when the two thousand seven market crash came, and we'd been we'd been studying, studying the, the property market and looking at uh, opportunities should they should they arise, and so when the market crashed and everyone was getting out, that was a good time for us to get in. So how did you get the cash to do that? Well, we didn't have much cash, and that was the thing. When we quit our jobs, we had enough cash to live on for six six months. But what we were able to do, and at the time this was in the halcyon days of. Uh, the good old Northern Rock, and when the, you know there were, the money was easier to get than certainly it is now, we were able to buy properties and refinance quickly. So we were buying them at a discount. So you were able to borrow money even post crash. Well, for for a while doing a doing this, crash. yeah, it was it was between two thousand seven and eight. So it was probably about we had about a year period. Yeah, it with, went soft. Yeah, went, things went soft. Yeah, it went soft. We're not
2: crash though. It no, soft.
1: then it crashed. Yeah. Then then things had to change. So during that period. Was when we got in, so un- unfortunately we got in uh, at right the at the tail end. <laughs> we wish we'd have started, you know, a good few years earlier when money was easier t- uh, to get. Yeah, but, but then you might have been bankrupt. That's why right. the crash. Yeah, yeah. And we, and we a
2: lot of people went under as a result of that crash.
1: Yeah, and we bought many of their assets actually yeah, when yeah. they went. Then we were I able did, to pick I did them the up. Same. Yeah. So, so that was kind of how it started for us, and we just kept reinvesting the money into the into acquiring properties and just built up a. Um, a portfolio that... So you're a developer or... No, uh, well, we, uh, we do some... Investment so properties or Yeah, residential properties. Residential Investment. Residential investment properties, yeah.
2: yeah. So you rent uh, residential. Uh, yes. In uh, Scotland.
1: In Scotland, yep. yeah. So we, we built that up over a period of time, and during that period, what we were able to identify was a was a demographic whereby people are low-income. It's not lo- low-income housing we have, we have sort of middle-of-the-road, nothing fancy, mm-hmm. but not... You know, affordable. Yeah, affordable. affordable. So there was a big... Unfurnished. Uh, unfurnished. Unfurnished. Yeah, mainly unfurnished. But we do some... Uh, it was mainly letting properties at affordable rates, <laughs> whereby a number of the tenants may not have had... They have had bad credit, weren't able to... They, they didn't fit the, the conventional box for, for getting a tenancy. So we took a bit of a gamble uh, with, with that demographic. And it worked for us because sort of the
2: yield we're getting.
1: back then we were getting. I mean, we were we were targeting double digit yield, but anything above eight is 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 what we is what we do. Our How all many key, properties have you got? We've got 350 yes. plus units. Yeah, we've got. So we mostly have mostly flats. Uh, yeah, mostly flats. We student yeah. student accommodation. Oh, student. Yeah, that's good, well. isn't it? Student. Yeah. Yeah. So we have a mixture, but I mean, yeah. we, we kind of pivoted. It's a big that. business you've grown, isn't it? In, yeah. in what ten years?
2: Yeah, and or well, a bit more. But, but yeah, it, it was a bit more. 10 years.
1: Yeah. And we haven't actually bought anything in substantial because we kind of diverted into building services companies, which almost is you know looking after the properties. Yeah. So we moved. So
2: building managers as well.
1: Yeah. 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 So, yeah. we now so you do all
2: the management services for apartment blocks and things like that?
1: We do, and we do a lot yeah. of it for the local government now and housing oh, yeah. associations. Oh, very so good. So the companies yeah. look after the buildings. Yeah. Yeah. So, so no you.
2: cash outlay and uh, yeah. And uh, no risk?
1: Yeah, well, low risk yeah. Low, it's risk. low risk, yeah. Well,
2: there's probably no such thing as l- no, no risk, risk yeah. but, but compared to a lot of things, it's no risk. Yeah. 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 So you have built an amazing property p- portfolio in quite a short time, but and I, I'm interested in your view on the but. Yeah. It's very difficult at a property to end up with any multiple on the business yourself. Yeah. Although I believe you're managing properties now, which gives you quality of earnings. Yeah. But have you th- sort of thought about that, that you make your short-term <coughs> profits, but what about your multiple if you come to exit?
1: Yeah, and no, you're absolutely right. And I think particularly the residential market that we are in, uh, we found that. Shush, boy. We are able to make a, a reasonable income multiple at the end basically wasn't there Mm. so we've we diverted out of property and we see see and now we've been doing it for a number of years now far better multiples and opportunities in the business sector so we've really so you're
2: gradually transforming your business to give a quality of earnings yes that gives a multiple Yes. so that there's an exit rather than just taking net asset value yes you end up with the multiple yeah and that, that is the big thing about I think any business and people have asked me what would you go into now and i would only ever go into world wide web okay yeah it would have to be something that was globalized yes i'm not that interested in making money anymore really but if i was going to do it Mm -hmm. it would have to be something i could globalize yeah something that i could put a really high tech value on Mm -hmm. so that not only is it globalized for massive expansion but also you've got this this high quality of earnings so you can get a huge multiple You know, I mean, look at some of the businesses today selling on multiples of two or three hundred. Yeah, I mean, to me, it seems ludicrous. But I mean, I sold my business on a multiple of eight, even though it was in the mobile phone business. But uh, I think I think, you know, for me, any business would have to be capable of carrying a high multiple. And part of that is having a high growth factor. Yeah. And if you can get the high growth factor in a sexy industry, Mm then you get the high multiple and you can make a fortune out of that and that's what the kids are doing today isn't it yeah you know yeah. In, in in application software and everything yeah. you know they're just making colossal money much yeah. easier than you are doing at the moment yeah. much easier than i ever did
1: yeah
2: you uh, you started converting your business into a multiple yeah a business with potential of multiple selling mm-hmm. rather than just a net asset sales. so yeah. is that on your horizon at some point
1: that you'd like to sell yeah, I think that's the plan for us. I mean, to go and uh, we're looking to. Uh, it's exactly. It. It's a complete opposite to the property yeah. side, and we we kind of naively, didn't, you know, we weren't thinking far enough ahead with the properties. It was always our intention to buy and hold, keep for the income, you know, in perpetuity if you like. But certainly for for, for, for a while, it wasn't. Uh, there was no exit in the in our plan. No, really. And for the property. but when we <laughs> well, I guess the thing is, when you'd made a bit of money,
2: yeah. You know, you get smarter and smarter, don't yeah, you? You know, you made some money, and that <laughs> yes. it's no longer about well, I have I made enough money to live. It's then about well, how can I really build this business into something worthwhile, long-term, and saleable?
1: Yes. And uh, John, for you, is that you? I mean, when you you were starting, uh, you know, your businesses, was it always with, with? I mean, did you get that early in terms of multiples and exit? No. Was that something? No. No.
2: no at, at first, it was only about building financial security
1: yeah.
2: then when i got financial security i wanted wealth yep. and then when i got wealth i wanted reputation and more wealth but, but with reputation i wanted to build something that i was proud of yeah um, and then the the dream of this seven-year-old that that was going to be charitable sort of i knew i could afford it yeah. And, uh, and then I became extremely focused on charity as well. Mm-hmm. But in the last um, probably 15 years, quality of earnings to enhance the multiple and enhance the chances of selling the business were crucial. Right. So I didn't do anything for short-term profit. Everything I did was for long-term quality. Right. So any buyer would see a really quality business, yeah. quality run, With an amazing reputation, great people, and therefore would give me the multiple that I desired. Not that I was thinking of selling, but you know what? What sort of happened was the mobile phone business matured to a point where I was worried about the future. But at the same time, I was predicting a big recession in the UK, and I was feeling like that in 2002. So the big recession didn't come in the UK alone; it came in the world, and it came quite some years later. It actually started coming in 2006 it's just that people didn't recognize it was coming off but it was coming off because all the mezzanine debt that was being put into private equity was beginning to evaporate and you could sense you know house prices too high you could sense that there's a huge bubble building up i mean i'm not saying i forecast or saw the financial bubble as it ended up being but i certainly saw a bubble in the uk that was a risk to my business and I started increasingly thinking, do you know, I'd better sell this. Right. It's time to sell. Yeah. And and then, you know, and then it was like, well, I'm selling my identity. Because that business I grew from one person to twelve thousand people, you know, from no turnover to two point four billion. Yeah. And it was my identity. Mm-hmm. And I'd got some amazing employees. Some amazing employees who are still in touch with me today, you know, and And just regularly say, "Do you know you were the toughest boss I could ever imagine working for?" But you taught me so much that I'm now successful. And they are chief executive of, in one case, of a of a publicly listed company, a a FTSE one hundred. So I bred a lot of people that were extremely successful, and that was very, very, very rewarding. Uh, And that became my driving force, really. You know, to to it changes doesn't it you're probably like that now you know you you've made your money I bet it's not just pure money that motivates Mm -hmm. you now I bet the other things are coming in yeah
1: yeah and when when you were going through the the sale process emotionally uh, what was what was that like at the time
2: well it it was tricky because my business was complicated it was 20 companies all the way across the whole breadth of mobile phones everything we were the world's biggest distributive handsets, the world's biggest distributive accessories. We were the UK's biggest air service yeah. provider with two million customers. It was, it was really a tricky sale. In fact, I threw two buyers out because yeah. I knew they were messing me about. Right. I knew they were filibustering me and, uh, and and taking me down a pathway. I could just sense it. Mm-hmm. And, and my uh, advisors were horrified because I threw this company out altogether. But I knew it was going to go nowhere. Right. And, and and any event I thought well I'll throw them out if it's really going to go somewhere they're going to clamor to get back in yeah if they don't clamor to get back in I was right mm. and they didn't yeah so I had a I had a really difficult sale process it took over a year uh, okay. yeah. and I believe we got out probably in the only month we ever could um, in terms of lateness which was September 2006 mm. because I, I talked about mezzanine debt going yeah Private equity companies were buying companies, and they were putting as little as seven or eight, nine percent of their own money in. The rest was main primary lending and then mezzanine debt. Mm. So they got no skin in the game. You yeah. know, if they if they won, they won big because they got all that huge return on a let's say a ten percent investment. Yeah. If they lost, they lost ten percent. Yeah. So the bet was disproportionate. Yeah. And that was another way I knew there was going to be an explosion, mm. because it was ridiculous that. That was the way that business was done. Yeah. So uh, anyway, I got it away on that September day, and uh, you know it was it was a strange sensation because it was like selling my identity and selling my baby Baby. that had grown into an adult. Yeah. Uh, So it was a strange sensation, but quite a relief as well because I'd lived for twenty years on the edge of a precipice. In right. many ways, yeah, because it was such a dynamic, aggressive, hard business where everybody wanted to kill you. Right. Your suppliers, your your customers, mm-hmm. and your competitors. Yeah. So you got you got no no no, no happy relationship anywhere. Everybody wanted to kill you. Right. <laughs> Which is not a good place to no, be.
1: That seems familiar <laughs> as well. <laughs> yeah, So from from selling your babies to to helping babies, John. You're you know the Codwell children.
2: Well, I, I eventually... I, I did start Cordwell Children, actually, in 2000. And, uh, in 2000. <laughs> OK. But when I sold the business, it enabled me to do much more charity work across the coast, yeah. Um and to grow Cordwell Children. Yeah. And, and, and charity just became an absolute passion. Yeah. It's what really motivates me in life. Mm-hmm. I was at Bomber Command Memorial for the commemorative cere- ceremony on Sunday, meeting the old veterans. There's very few left now. In fact, there's only three there. Right. One from Poland, the only, the only veteran from the Polish Air Force, and two from the UK. And it's emotionally, for me, extremely, extremely valuable. You know, I can't get that same feeling, no matter what I do in life, yeah. I can't get the same feeling as helping other people. Yeah. And in Cordwell Children, we've helped 60,000 kids. And some of those kids have gone on to really have a really special life. Like one child with um, type 2 muscular atrophy, little Tilly, uh, m- muscular atrophy takes all the muscles away from the whole body and we supplied her with a wheelchair when she was four. £20,000 for these wheelchairs. but It transforms that child's life mm-hmm. and two years ago, just before Covid, I met her in San Francisco at, uh, at her university and took her for a coffee and she's on the wheelchair in the wheelchair with a little joystick and I'm cycling down the road and we go to Starbucks and she's only in the, one of the most credited universities in the world and she won a scholarship to it okay. and uh, things like that make my hair stand on mm-hmm. end no business deal and I am a business dr- adrenaline junkie mm-hmm. but no business deal could ever to me feel like that mm-hmm. can't because the spiritual satisfaction of knowing you've helped a child have a real special life
0: that would have had no life is priceless yeah. that's it for this episode but tune in next time for business success with graham and Leanne carling